Greetings, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Wrestling with God. Today I have my lovely wife, Vicki Jo, with me, and people have sent her questions, and she's going to feed me the questions. Hi, everyone. Okay, these are, these are a little bit hard. In light of what's going on in the Ukraine, I think people have that on their mind, and yes. so these questions are related to that. Okay. Okay? So the very first one is, why does God allow so much suffering? Yeah, that's the big question. That's the question that philosophers and sincere spiritual seekers have been asking forever. And I don't pretend to give, to be able to give an airtight, logical answer. So let me begin this way. The, the human mind was created to understand creation, never to completely understand the creator intuitively we can have a sense of God and what God's about but the logical dualistic mind can never fully capture the essence of God so there's always going to be a limitation with this question but let me start here one of my favorite Christian mystics is a man called Valentin Tomberg and he says what is true below is true above and what is true above is true below so what does that mean in the context of suffering? I'm a father of adult children. I consciously chose to be a father of adult children. And I remember very distinctly the choice to be a father, the choice to, to bear children came with a bit of anxiety. I was going to do everything I could do, even in the context of my limitations, to give them a solid childhood, to prepare them for success and happiness and a good life as adults. But I also knew that ultimately it was outside of my control. It was, in a manner of speaking, a roll of the dice. I could not control how they were ultimately going to turn out as adults. But because, in a sense, I loved them before they were born, and I would love them no matter what, and I had hope that somehow, through all of life's turns and twists, that they would find their way to a meaningful and good life. And I, I think, in a manner of speaking, God does the same thing with us. In creating creation and in creating human beings, in a sense, God rolled the cosmic dice. Now, some people would say, was it worth it? Well, let me put it this way. God is love, and God created us to receive that love to experience that love, and then to give that love away. And there can't be love without free will. There can't be love without the possibility of rejecting that love. Otherwise, it's not love. If God made us without free will, without this capacity to say no to love, to constrict in the presence of love, 
then we would really just be biological robots. So God had to give us free will in order to freely receive that love and give that love away. And inherent in free will is the capacity to say no. And we suffer whenever we say no to love, whenever we constrict in the face of love. That is really the beginning of all suffering. So I think, again, God had to roll the cosmic dice in creating us. And just like going back to my own experience of being a father, just like I believed in the power of love and I believed that the love I had for my children, their mother had for our children, and the love that God has for them in the end would bring, would support their highest evolution. But there was that roll of the dice that I had to, that I had to do. And I think it's the same thing with God. Otherwise, again, we would just be biological machines, biological robots. So what you're saying is this, this evil that causes the suffering is really the constriction of love, the constriction of goodness, and that we all have a choice to not constrict or to constrict. And when there is constriction, then there's pain and suffering. Yeah, and I would, I would nuance it a little further that whenever we constrict in the face of truth, beauty, and goodness, truth, beauty, and love, then yes, we, we, we bring suffering upon ourselves. That we only become fully human. We only have a fully meaningful and rich life to the degree that we open ourselves to truth, beauty, and goodness, to love. And anything short of that creates a deprivation and a degeneration within us and within society. So this, these things that are happening to the Ukrainian people, it's not the people themselves that are constricting because look at the amazing uh, humanitarian efforts and the amazing courage that these people have but they're still suffering yeah. because of the loss and the deprivation and, and the terrible terror that's going on. Yeah, the, the, again, any political situation has many complex layers, but for the sake of simplicity, let me approach it this way. I'm not saying that the Ukrainian people brought this suffering upon themselves. That's not what I'm saying. Right. What I'm saying in general is that when humanity itself constricts in the presence of truth, beauty, and goodness, constricts in the presence of love, operates from fear, then we necessarily create suffering. It doesn't mean that the people who are suffering in any given situation are bringing that suffering on themselves, but humanity is one collective entity. There's no such thing as Americans, Ukrainians, Russians, in some ultimate sense, we are all the family of humanity. So that when any aspect of the human family is in disorder, it creates a wave, a ripple of disorder throughout the entire human family. 
So when I am out of disorder, when I am out, when I am in disorder and out of love, out of truth, beauty, and goodness, I necessarily create some measure of suffering for other people. So, yeah, I'm not in any way trying to say that the Ukrainian people are the cause of this suffering. Humanity is the cause of suffering. Again, whenever we constrict in the face of truth, beauty, and goodness, whenever we constrict in love. So humanity in the form right now of one man is well, humanity in the form of someone that is evil. Yes, yes. Although, again, you know, I think there's many levels to any political situations, many levels of analysis. But to keep it simple, what I would say is President Putin is not operating out of truth, beauty, and goodness. He's not operating out of love. He's operating out of some kind of interior deficit. He's operating out of disorder. He's operating out of fear. He's operating out of a lust for power, a lust for glory. And because he is stepping outside of the intelligence and the flow of love, he is creating enormous suffering for the people in Ukraine. And, and let me throw in this little kind of footnote to just complicate things a little bit. It's just a, a reflection on the human condition and I'll use this example. When astronauts go up in outer space and are in a state of weightlessness, what scientists and medical experts have discovered is their muscles and their bones begin to atrophy. So now when they send astronauts into space, they, they somehow integrate exercise resistance so their bones and their muscles don't atrophy. Well, that's a metaphor for the psychological and spiritual life that at some level, and I can't completely explain it, we become our best selves when we are faced with some kind of resistance. It's almost like temptation is necessary in order for our wholeness, our holiness to emerge. Um, this runs counter to the sort of Marxist analysis, and I know I'm Seems like I'm going uh, in a wrong direction, but stay with me. This belief that we have, if everybody just had enough food and enough material uh, needs met, that that would alleviate evil. It would alleviate suffering to a certain extent. But there's something about the human person that seems to need some resistance, some heroic challenge in order to really reach um, our potential. How much, though, can a people endure? And it brings me to the next question that okay. someone had. With all the suffering in the world that's going on, how can you continue to have that faith in God? I mean, those people seem very faith-filled. But standing back here, I think that's a good question. How, how do you continue to go on and on and believe in this all-loving God when you see the, this kind of suffering? Well, I, people ask me that question a lot, and I have a simple answer. Evil is real. Evil is measurable. It's palpable. It cannot be denied. At the same time, goodness is real. Grace is real. Evil is real. So I think there's always a choice in front of us. We can be overcome with the evil 
And then typically what happens, we become desperate, we become hopeless, and we become part of the problem. Or we can see the good, see the grace, and identify with the grace and operate from that perspective. So yes, evil is real, it's palpable, but so is grace, so is goodness, so is love. And for me, the simple answer, but it makes sense, is to respond to evil with love, with grace, with truth, with beauty, and with goodness. That way we're not overshadowed by the evil and we become a force for good in the evil, within the evil. So it's not a maybe a perfect philosophical answer to the question, but I, I think it's a real existential answer to the question that we have to align ourselves with the good and respond to the darkness with good. And and I the last thing I want to do is romanticize the suffering of the Ukrainian people. But again, what we see in their response is great courage, great faith, and, and still faith in God, and great courage to resist their oppressors. So again, I think endeavoring to stay on, on the side of good and within the flow of grace and goodness and love really is the practical answer to the question of suffering. So there's a couple of examples um, that I was astounded by. One was um, one of the men, <clears throat> Ukrainian men, is actually um, loading his piano on a, a dolly and he goes in the midst of people and he plays this beautiful music. Yes. That's what you're talking about. You can see God in him. Yes. Or the man who lost his wife and his two children said that he was going to go out now and fight for other people's families. Then you see the God yes. in yeah. them. Or the the people that are donating, all of the people, some of the people that are listening right now, um, you see the God in them. Yes. That's what you're trying to say. Yeah, and another maybe more concrete example, not more concrete, but another example on another level is the president of Ukraine. He has inspired the world. We haven't had a statement, statesman like him maybe since Nelson Mandela, at least on the surface. Um, and so we see his tremendous courage and resiliency and determination in the midst of the evil and the suffering and the oppression and how that is not only inspiring his people, but it's really inspiring the whole world. Um, he's in, right now, I think he's become an icon of inspiration. That's not to say he's a perfect human being. There are no perfect human beings, but we would not see this part of him without this darkness. And the, the other thing that I will say is that there's something narcissistic about evil, which ultimately makes it stupid. And, and ultimately evil ends up defeating itself because it becomes intoxicated with its own intelligence. It becomes intoxicated uh, with its own power. Some of the news reports that have come out is that, for example, Putin has closed himself off in, in a kind of political echo chamber 
where how much is he really listening to his generals? How much is he really listening to the world? He's not. And you can see that eventually this is going to bring to hit, bring him to his own downfall. He's going to be a pariah uh, on the world scene until he's dead and then beyond. So that um, evil ultimately ends up being stupid because it becomes intoxicated with itself. One can only hope that that happens sooner than later. Absolutely. Um, this isn't a question from from someone, but it's my own question. You're allowed. <laughs> Thanks. <clears throat> when we're in the midst of all of this, for me, it's easy to go one of two ways. To get so bogged down with the sadness that it's hard for me to figure out a way out and how to lift lift ourselves up from that. That's one question. And what else can we do to keep God in this? You know, how else great, can we help to show up as God? That's a great world. That's a great, great question. There's a there's a subtle dance we have to do with the reality of evil and darkness in the world. We have to acknowledge it. And again, I'm just using a metaphor here. We have to acknowledge it, but not be absorbed into it. Metaphorically speaking, we have to look at evil through the corner of our eyes so that, so that the, the most important aspect of our awareness and our vision is focused on truth, beauty, and goodness. So, you know, I've said to people, we need to witness the suffering in Ukraine. And there are times that you and I have watched, watched it on TV and we have wept. That is necessary to be present, to feel it, to experience it, um, and to in some way empathize with the people of the Ukraine. And at the same time, we have to keep maybe our third eye, the eye of the soul, on truth, beauty, and goodness, on grace, on goodness. Otherwise, we get caught up in in the evil, we get caught up in the despair that the evil tempts us with, and then we're no good for anyone. So we, we have to balance being present to the evil, being aware of it, and at the same time, focusing on truth, beauty, and goodness. A really good historical example in the United States is Dr. Martin Luther King, one of my, one of my heroes. He was very honest in confronting evil and confronting uh, racism, in the United States. And, you know, he didn't spare any words in confronting the reality of racism. At the same time, he was not overcome with hatred or fear. He always talked about the beloved community, that the ultimate goal was to, to invite our former oppressors into the community of the beloved. So, I think we have to confront evil, but we do it from a place of goodness. We do it from a place of light, truth, beauty, and goodness. It doesn't mean we're weak. It doesn't mean that we vacillate. We're very strong in confronting it, but we do it from a place of love. I'll, I'll paraphrase something Paramahansa Yogananda said that I think fits in this context. He said, when you're dealing with human frailty, be as gentle as a flower. But when it comes to principle, to truth, be as strong as thunder. Mm. And I think that has to be our approach. 
love and truth, truth and love. If you have love without truth, it's not love. And if you have truth without love, it's not truth. So we have to stay grounded in our prayers, our meditations, all of those spiritual practices and psychological practices that ground us in truth, beauty, and goodness. We, we do have a few things, too, that all of you might participate in. One is um, we have the rosary on Wednesday afternoon. 12.15 on CC Facebook, a way of praying for peace. Right. And then the other thing is there's um, there are things that you can donate to, and we have that on our website, too. So it's both prayer and, and service action. and yes. action. Yes. And you do see that in President Zelensky, too. You yes. see this this plea, um, and you see what a prayerful man he is, but then his action, too. Well, I read somewhere he goes out every morning to his soldiers, you know, all dressed up, and kind of gives them a pep talk. So it's action and yes. internal prayer and action. But the action has to come from, from that internal grounding and... And the divine. Right. Was there another question? I think there was another question. Is there? Yes. I think that was. No, I think there was a third question. Okay, let me look. Where is God? Yeah, it was we kind of. Well, no, no, but this is a little bit different. So ask the question. Where is God in the midst of such horrendous suffering? All right. So I'm going to take this to a deeper level. And. I'm going to go to the Christian world and the image of Christ suffering, Christ crucified. And again, I do this not to glorify suffering, but to take it at its deepest, deepest level. So what do we have in the image of Christ crucified? And whether you believe in Jesus or not, don't get caught up in that right now. I want you to see what that represents. You have the you have the representative of God, you have divinity, you have Christ, and you have this horrible, horrible suffering in the crucifixion. And what you see then is the marriage of suffering and evil with the divine. Again, the marriage of suffering and evil with the divine. And what does that tell us? What that tells us is that no matter how dark the situation is that we are in, no matter how deep the suffering, we are never abandoned. God is with us. And in fact, God is suffering with us. And let me put this in the context of my practice as a psychotherapist, and I know you've experienced this. People come and after a period of time, if they trust you, they will open up their, their deepest pain to you. And I never have any magical answers that's going that to make their pain go away. But just being able to be with them in their pain, in their, in their darkest, deepest moments of life, to witness it with love and compassion and to be present somehow begins to affect a healing for them. Walking with them in, in their abuse, for example, helps to create the foundation of, of healing uh, within them. 
And I'm saying that the cross, again, God and evil coming together, God and unjust suffering coming together in a marriage, what that says to us is that we are never, ever alone in our suffering, that love is with us, God is with us. And if God is with us in the depths of our suffering, then there's always hope. There's always a possibility for healing and reconciliation and resurrection. And that's what we see in the Christian story. God takes the suffering of the world upon himself in the form of Christ, takes it all in, feels it, experiences it, but takes it into love. And then on the third day, Easter Sunday, there's a resurrection, there's a beginning of a new life. So just having a degree of faith that, that God is with us in the depths of our suffering, that we are never alone, it keeps the heart open. And if the heart is open, then we're not alone. And if that heart is open, love and light can seep in. And if love and light can seep in, then so can healing and the possibility of a new day. I think that's part of really, it's, it's the unique message of Christianity, I think, for the world, that we have a God that suffers with us and then ultimately transforms that suffering into something good. And that light, that, that force of hope can sustain us in the midst of the darkness, that God indeed suffers with us. Just like you and I wept and continue to weep with the people of the Ukraine, I think in a manner of speaking that God weeps with us. And again, somehow that waters the heart, <laughs> softens the heart, and keeps it open to love. And let me just take this a level deeper. And it's again a further reflection on the crucifixion of Jesus. We can look at evil and suffering and be filled with despair, fear, anger, rage. Or we can endeavor to take on some of that suffering ourselves. And I, I don't mean that in a masochistic way and I'm not glorifying suffering. That rather than always seeking a life of ease and superficial happiness. Just think how much we could transform the world if each one of us took on some degree of suffering in another person or in another group of people. How much we can transform the world. And I'll give you a concrete example. At the Assisi Institute, we one of the one of the swamis. A swami is a, a monk in the yogic tradition, very similar to to what Catholic monks are. Um, Diamananda, you'll get mad at me for saying this. Diamananda is a retired CPA, and ever since he retired, he has worked with the homeless people in Rochester uh, at one of the Dorothy Day houses. And even through the Assisi Institute, he has organized uh, a bi-monthly uh, collection of food that we distribute then to one of the homeless shelters. So that 
in the spirit of Jesus's own crucifixion, who took on the suffering, the darkness of the world and transformed it into something good. Part of our call as spiritual people, whether you're Christian, Jewish, Hindu, Muslim, Buddhist, it doesn't make a difference. Part of our call is to take on the suffering of others so that we can alleviate that suffering. It's not just about having a pleasant life, it's about having a meaningful life. And alleviating the suffering of others is the pathway and part of a meaningful life. And those are the true resurrections, it sounds like. All of that are little symbols of the resurrection, yes. the big resurrection that's coming. Yes, they are sort of a prefiguration, if I can say it that way, of the resurrection. One of my favorite Catholic writers is Teilhard de Chardin. He was a Jesuit priest and also a, a very fine scientist. And he said that love is the most powerful force in creation and the least understood. I endeavor to live my life as though that is true, that love is the most powerful force in all of creation. And in the end, what that means, and this gets back to the Christian story of the crucifixion and the resurrection, in the end, what that means is that love does win, love will win. We are kind of in this provisional state where there is literally a war between um, hate and love, truth and falsehood, but in the end, uh, love does win and we seed the human consciousness with hope, with healing, by again taking on the suffering of others and endeavoring to live our lives from a place of love. And this time of year, I think, during Lent, is a wonderful time to remember that. Yes. Because I sometimes myself forget that there is a resurrection. Eventually there is a resurrection and that evil never wins. In the end, it never wins. Right. Think of it this way, and we'll close with this. The sources of our suffering are always temporary. Someday, hopefully sooner than later, Putin will retreat, Putin will have some kind of fall, Putin will be removed from power. And that will hopefully bring some level of, 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 of an end to the suffering. But the sources of our true joy and our true meaningfulness and our true happiness are eternal because the sources of true happiness, true meaningfulness is God. And God is eternal. God is outside of time and space, operating within time and space. So the sources of our suffering are always temporary, but the root of our freedom and our true happiness and our true joy is everlasting and eternal because that is God. How about if we end there? That's good. That's good. All right. So just a reminder, if you like this podcast, please give it a like. Please forward it to a friend and make a comment. And please send your questions in. We really appreciate it. Thank you, my lovely, beautiful Thank you for wife. Such good answers. You're welcome. You're welcome. Contemplative answers. I will contemplate them all. Yes. And thank you all for tuning in. Namaste. Namaste. God bless you.